What's up, everyone? Welcome to Let's Talk Markets with Dave Lauer. I am your co-host, Pink, and today we have two special guests joining us. Uh, we have Eric Smolinski from ES Invests and Dennis Dick, trader and host of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. So thanks for coming to, to join us today, guys. Thanks for having us. Great yeah, to be thanks, here. Guys. We got a nice, uh, nice Canadian contingent now ah. on the show. We've taken over half the show. Dennis is coming to us from, you know, you talk about the Great White North, but man, you are north, right? That's Not really, because I think where you are is actually maybe potentially further north than I. I'm an hour and a half north of Toronto. Yeah, no. So. See, I don't think I'm that far north here in Ottawa, but it definitely uh, rivals the cold. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, we're, 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 we're leaving the four months of the year where I get to brag about the weather here, and we're going into the not fit for human habitation six yeah. months. <laughs> Seven months of snow yeah. drifts and... Where I am is the, called the snow belt as well, Georgian Bay. And you get the snow drifts coming in and you go out there and there's two and a half feet of snow and you're like, why do I choose to live here? Yeah, why, you know, yeah. you can still choose to live here. And you're crazy for moving up here, Dave. So like, I, at least yep. I was born crazy. born up here. So a little bit of I got excuse, no excuse. You yeah. have no excuse. You just no. chose this. So. <laughs> no. And and Eric is just sitting there with this smirk. Where are you, Eric? Oh, he's, he's where listen, everyone we're wants just, to be. I'm just struggling. It's real tough out here right now. I think it's 72 and sunny. The breeze picked up a little bit too much. So when I was running oh, earlier, I got a slight chill from the breeze, yeah. you know, mixing with the sweat. So I'm struggling, man. I'm in uh, San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, he'll be 72, Dave. We're 72 outside right now, too, because we're getting this little heat wave. I but know. the 40s are coming next week. I've already <laughs> saw the calendar. And then the How? 20s are coming. And then when you start going down to zero, now you know you wish you were in San Diego. Eric, we're coming to visit you in three months. For yeah. real. I'm in mid-90s, and y'all are all speaking a different language. You, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned the snow belt. You? I'm in a different kind of belt that I She's don't want to offend anyone by mentioning. But yeah, oh, I'm like in the middle of the middle of nowhere, middle of the armpit of USA. We, so, uh, See, so I'm I, coming to you. Being guys. from New Jersey, I, I always thought that was the armpit of America. Did yeah, we like, often have this debate. I guess you could have two armpits. Actually, Windsor is often called the armpit of Canada there too. So we're all the same. That's where I was from, Windsor, Ontario. So we're all armpit traders here. Well, I think Texas is the butt of of America. So maybe we're just the boil on the butt of America. I think so. That's a good, that's a nice visual to start it off with. It's a nice segue uh, into this market. Yeah. So you At least sure. we, we've got, we've you got the North sure. American continent kind of covered here. We've got North, South, everywhere. you know, but yeah, yeah. We, so, we've got so it pretty well sure covered. In, in January and February, we're going to be doing Let's Talk Markets from San Diego. We're going to have our, our uh, satellite office opened up there. How's that sound, guys? I think that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Perfect. We'll put that on the editorial calendar ASAP <laughs> before, before it starts getting cold for everybody. Right. All right. Well, as promised, we are uh, focusing on markets again this week. And today we have a few main questions that we're going to strive to answer. And that's what's going on in markets right now. And what are uh, where are markets going in the next three to six months in, in everyone's opinion? Um, now, leading up to the recording this, Dennis, you were mentioning uh, bonds and how, yeah. you know, you, you yeah. do trade in equities, but you use bonds as sort of the canary in the coal mine to let you know where things are headed. So what are you seeing? I mean, I often use the TLT as an indicator. I talk about this on Benzinga's pre-market prep where I host Monday through Friday. Um, we talk about this all the time that the TLT, and, and, and it's, it's funny, we're in this market where a lot of times you'll actually see the TLT as a defensive thing where it's a risk off, you know, when stocks are getting hit, they 
flock to the TLT as a defensive nature of it, but that's not the market we're in right now. This market is very concerned with rates. It's very concerned with companies' ability to borrow money at elevated prices. So basically rates have got the market into a lot of trouble being the equity market. Bonds have been getting just the crap kicked out of them here for the better part of the last couple of months. And if you go back even further, I mean, the TLT is now making a 16 year low. That, this, just take that and, you know, and, and wrap your head around that. Here you've got Great. you know equity markets that are up three to four hundred percent over the course of the last sixteen years, and you've got the TLT going back to where we were during the financial crisis. It's telling you how far rates have gone, and now the long end is starting to go. We got the thirty-year four point eight five. The the ten-year went over four point eight percent today, and that's got traders, equity traders, spooked. And you know, main reasons for that is companies borrow. So, I mean, you look at the utilities, and you're like, what's happening with utilities? They're supposed to be defensive when the market's going down. Well, that's absolutely not the case because the XLU has lost over 10% in the last week. And the reason for that is if you look at the debt, well, all these companies borrow a lot of money. And if rates are continuing to go higher on the long end, these borrowing costs are going to go up. Now, they are bouncing a bit today, maybe just a, a relief, you know, maybe call it a dead cap bounce. But NEE, which is the biggest component in the XLU, Nextera Energy, lost 20% last week in the last five trading sessions. And this isn't like some, you know, growthy tech stock. This is the biggest component in the XLU. It's an energy company that a lot of people have in their in long-term portfolios. And if you look at the debt, they got a lot of debt. So this is what they're hitting here really over the course of the last week. It's companies with a lot of debt. They don't care if it's a defensive stock. They don't care if people got to pay their utility bills. What they care about is that their borrowing costs are going to go up and that could potentially squeeze margins. Yeah, so we're looking here at TLT, XLU, and SPY. And exactly what you're talking about, Dennis, TLT has just been decimated. XLU starting to come off hard. And SPY hanging in there. But, you know, back to even for the, for, you know, since uh, 2021 now and, uh, you know, probably lagging these others. Um, and, I, you know, I was looking at something that, that said the ultra long duration bonds, uh, the treasury bonds have fallen m further than what stocks did during the great financial crisis. Is that, think about that. That yeah. statement in itself is That's just crazy. gives you perspective on how much bonds have been hit. They've never had a correction like this. We've never seen a right. correction of this magnitude in the bond market. Yes, equities have had drawdowns, serious drawdowns. In the great financial crisis, I believe this S&P spy fell over 60%. This is a serious drawdown yeah. for bonds, and the S&P is starting to pay attention. Now, the one thing, you know, we can throw this to Eric, too, but the one thing that has held up the S&P is the seven generals. You know, we, can we talk about them all the time, the big, the big seven, you know, and you got NVIDIA and Microsoft and Apple and Amazon and Meta and Google and Tesla. Those stocks continue to hold up the index because they make up such a big part of SPY. But if you bring up the IWM, you get an entire different picture here because the IWM is approaching the 2023 lows. So as much as you know, it's been a fantastic rally in early 2023, the IWM has given all that back now. So when you really look at the broad market here, the broad market is sitting near 2023 lows where you've got the S&P being held up by seven stocks. Yeah, what are you thinking, Eric? It's fascinating hearing the conversation flow between the different sectors because I trade IWM a lot. That's one of my go-tos because I'm a derivatives trader, right? So that's where I find volatility. And I've been so cautious. 
I've been so cautious with adding any risk to IWM. Essentially, once we bounced off that previous high, uh, what, 198 at the end of July, and it just, it can't catch a bid. The whole year, it's been sickly compared to the S&P 500. And it's also funny hearing you guys talk about utilities because that's been essentially one of my perma shorts for the year. Across all timeframes, utilities has sucked for the past 52 weeks. So for me, I'm always looking where can I find opportunity that fits a thesis in the current market conditions. And bonds, I haven't touched TLT. I've been watching it super closely, but I've just been seeing movements exactly, you know, to Dennis' point, like I've never seen before. And I've been trading since 2007, not that long, but I have seen, I have been seeing a lot of bond markets and it just, I've never seen it do this. So you should see my chart on TLT. I just have a bunch of alerts set at different price points, <laughs> but I'm just watching this thing. So I was like, how low is this thing going to go? But I also think you brought up one other really important point that I think we started to cover that's worth people being aware of is that a lot of the conversation around bonds is so fascinating because the carrying costs for different consumers and then businesses, which you're seeing that, you know, represented in the Russell, but that's the kind of weakness that I think, you know, we're already starting to see the cracks in the economy, right? That's been going on for some time now. You look at the last earnings cycles and there were some improvements, but if you look at where those improvements came from, it's all cost cutting. So I think this next earnings cycle is going to be fascinating because this is where we're going to see, okay, you can only cut so many costs. So how are we actually holding up here? Revenue is not growing for a lot of these big companies. Apple's revenues over the course of the last two years are flat. The only reason the stock has gone up is multiple expansion. When I was investing in Apple and I was a long-term investor in Apple for about a decade, I can remember buying Apple when it was trading at a PE of 12 and they were saying, well, this should, this is going to be like your iPhone is basically, I got one here in my hand. It's basically a consumer staple. It should trade with a consumer staple multiple and in consumer staples already trade, always trade 25, 26 times earnings. Well, Apple has now in the last 10 years expanded to be a consumer staple and does trade with a consumer staple multiple, but that now it's expanded even up to 30 times. So even more, you know, so the AI story has pushed that even further. But when you really analyze, consumer staple multiples are contracting uh, a lot right now because we have yields going up. So, I mean, those typical consumer staples, when we were looking at Procter & Gamble 23, 24 earnings, when we were looking, you know, at the Johnson & Johnson's trading 24, 25 times earnings, those are down to 18, 19 times earnings here now. So if you're really going to have an Apple that everybody says should trade like a consumer staple, I don't know if you want that anymore as an Apple bull, because then it should be contracting with this consumer staple pullback that we're getting here. But the point being is that earnings growth is not there for the big companies. Like it's not there. It's all been cost cutting to a great point you were making, Eric, and buybacks. That's really driven the EPS. But the revenue growth is not there here right now. And you've got to also think that the consumer has been firing on all cylinders. The consumer over the course of the last year has been hot. They've still been finding money to spend, despite obviously no increased expenses in different places and inflation, but they're finding money to spend. If that consumer starts to become, have a little bit less discretionary income, what happens if these revenue numbers start to actually show decline? Do we wanna pay 28 times earnings for a company like Apple if it's showing that decline? I mean, that's the bear case in a stock like Apple. 
Speaking of the consumer profile, I'm curious what your guys' perspective is on just the strength of employment. That's been a little bit surprising to me. Um, how do you factor that into your hypothesis on consumer spending and just kind of, you know, the evolution of what this might look like for consumers going forward? Because in the broader context, there's a massive impact on the markets writ large. Yeah, boy, those numbers have been shocking. Um, and, you know, what I think you've seen it, in a, in a couple of different places, if you, you've just seen this incredibly strong job market, it is the only hope I think that we have for a soft landing. And I'm I'm increasingly skeptical, to be honest. I, I think I was like on team soft landing up until last week, and I find myself suddenly becoming increasingly skeptical that we're going to be able to maintain that. Um, you know, we've gotten, and you've seen both sort of the. The, the job market in terms of openings is starting to increase, right? We had jolts come out today, um, and today, it, Tuesday, this, this might come out in a couple of days, but on Tuesday, jolts came out, a, a small uptick in job openings, but nothing crazy. You've seen labor force participation get back to normal. We're seeing prime age participation at multi-decade highs. Um, you know, it's, it, it is a, a market where people wanna work and you know, they, they are still finding jobs but yeah, if if we're gonna see things contract, if we're going to to see this sort of downstream impact from earnings disappointing and companies needing to continue to hit some EPS targets and continue cost cutting, this is gonna be one of the first things that they go after, right? And that's all, you know, and then does that feed into uh, a commercial real estate cycle, you know, a negative feedback cycle um, that sort of everyone's been expecting for a while and, and, and you know, does that hit the market pretty hard? Is that where we go from a soft landing to a recession? I, you know, I, I don't know, but boy, it, it doesn't seem, it, it doesn't feel good. The numbers are still holding up pretty good though. Doesn't, there's a lot to unpack there, Dave. And the one thing to consider in those labor statistics is that they lag. So mm -hmm. we have been in this economy and I think there's, you know, no argument that it's been robust. It's been very good. What happens if we do go into a slowdown, though? What happens? I think the market is concerned about that now. They're looking at rates and saying, hey, yeah. we may actually experience a slowdown. Maybe we don't get that soft landing. And then what happens? And then you're looking at the multiple, you know, the S&P trading, you know, 19, 20 times, and it's a little bit rich historically. So you have a lot of people sitting on a lot of gains and, you know, especially if they're in tech stocks and looking and saying, maybe I'm just in an environment where it's really good right now. And what if it starts to, you know, show some decline? I mean, use Disney as an example. Disney stock was, you know, you know, obviously, you know, if you go back, you know, went up, up, up. And then, you know, it's been contracting. And people say, well, why can't Disney catch a bit? Well, a lot of their businesses are suffering, but they had the parks and the parks were holding us up. But look what happens. The parks are starting to just have rumors of you know that the attendance is starting to go down, that they're not as busy as they were, and the stock continues to make new seven, 10-year lows here. So, I mean, I think we've got to look ahead that, yes, the labor numbers have been fantastic here, but what if it's as good as it gets? What if mm -hmm. we actually do show a decline here? Are we priced for that? And with rates going higher, that squeezes margins everywhere. And then you can go into the inflation issue. And we may have tackled product inflation, and the Fed has done a good job with that. But labor inflation is here, man. You have everybody wanting to get a raise. Obviously, the UAW on strike. Pilots over at UAL just got a 40% raise. UPS had to give their um, employees a 40% raise, their drivers. you know, And the UAW wants a 40% raise. They're not talking 4% raises. I mean, some of these companies are going to have to pass through these costs. And then inflation starts to sneak back in. 
So I mean, the, the, the action that I see in long-term treasuries tells me that, in, that there's obviously investor concerns that inflation is not tackled here yet. And if that's the issue, I mean, we could have rates elevated for a prolonged period of time. And that eventually is going to hit consumer demand. Goldman was out with a piece um, yesterday, and they're saying that we're entering a, a pothole, not a ditch. That was, uh, that was how they termed it. And then they see rates sticking around here um, and a cut in Q4 24 coming. And I mean, in layman's, in layman's terms, you've got to consider that those employment rates, those labor rates don't necessarily translate to having money for bread and circuses. I mean, as long as inflation keeps going up and the cost of living keeps going up for a lot of people, that that investment margin, that leftover money to put towards the future is, is just rapidly decreasing. And so mm -hmm. whether it's entertainment on the consumer end, going to Disney or it's investing in Disney, um, you know, those labor numbers going up just means that more people are able to survive. So that doesn't necessarily translate mm -hmm. to, you know, more, more money to spend, I guess. Yeah. At Goldman's point, they think the remaining growth drag from past Fed hikes is small. So they think it's mostly baked in now and, re and that there's the real wage rebound, to your point, Pink, actually supports disposable income. Uh, now that the employment cost index is back above the consumer price index, which it hasn't been since 2021. One thing that I'm curious how it factors into the thesis here, though, is that, you know, we're talking about the probabilities for rate hikes. And as I look out, you know, at bond futures pricing for both 13 December and the 31 Jan, and there's like a near 50% ish probability of a hike in both of those obviously if there was That's a hike crazy. in one it doesn't necessitate a hike in the other but the fact that it's even that high like for 13 december it's like 46 percent, and it maintains that for 31 jan so it looks like there's at least thoughts of a hike occurring in either of those two time frames then it doesn't look like there's a majority probability for an ease until the 12 june 24 and that's a 42 percent probability of an ease so it doesn't even look like the market right now is convinced that the cutting is done. I, I think the Fed goes another quarter. I think we might have another quarter point, but we're towards the end of the Fed's raising rates here because you can see what's happening in the economy. It's already starting to teeter here. Um, you can see, obviously, the stocks lead. Obviously, you know, sometimes six months ahead. I don't know. I sometimes challenge whether it's that far ahead or not. <laughs> but, I mean, you look here and investors are concerned the fed can clearly see that they're losing control of the long end to a certain extent not that right. they ever control the long end but i mean they can they definitely control the short end the short end drives long end pricing so i think we're towards the end of the fed raising and i think they will have to cut in 2024 because i'm not in soft landing camp i'm in hard landing camp i think we're up you know, and I, I, I do think we're going to get opportunities. I don't think you have to sell the dip. I think you're, you're going to get bounces. You're going to get hope. You're going to get stories and maybe drive us higher here. Just like last week, we got another, you know, 100-point S&P pop towards the end of the week here. So you get opportunities here. But I'm in the sell the rip camp here in equities because I think the hard landing is coming. I think we've been in this fairy tale world of, like, you know, earnings, you know, and, and expanding multiples to unreasonable valuations on many stocks. Now, some stocks have come down. 
So, you know, at a certain point in time, maybe you do start looking at some value stocks that have come to reasonable valuations. But it, it, it's hard to think that the Fed isn't looking at the action, you know, on the long end and looking at the action in the equities and thinking, man, we got to come in here and better raise rates up. I mean, action like today gets the Fed thinking about obviously a pausing, if not, you know, even pivoting. Uh, yeah, you think how much do you think the Fed is looking at the market when, when it's making that kind of decision? I think relatively zero. Yeah. I, like I, I just you listen to the way that Powell talks about it and the only like drum he's been beating is strangling inflation. Like that's it. Like it, it almost seems you know people yeah, yeah. And I actually, t to his credit, I, I think that that's been a good thing is that he hasn't been bouncing around with his take on inflation. But yeah, it's just any time that I've done any historical analysis on the, the performance around inflation and how the Fed tends to act, we know that they tend to over tighten. And I think um, Big Daddy j Powell is probably not moving away from this this cadence as he's been so steady on it. So I like, I don't know, to me, it seems like the markets are a far second to, to his concern. Uh, and, and that's what he wants you to think for sure. I mean, that's what he has been consistent with what he has said. He isn't looking. And that is his job to make you feel that that is what, you know, he's thinking. I will say, though, when they see long end and you start seeing the 10-year go over 5%, which we are getting there, it's on their radar. Mm -hmm. It's going to be on their radar. And it will, that in itself, a 10-year going up to 5 and we obviously, you know, we were talking Rick Santelli, we've been talking about him all day because he threw out this, that the 10-year, I think he was talking the 10-year, could go to 30, 13% he was talking this morning on CNBC. <laughs> I don't know where he's getting 13% from, but it's you just, you know, just well, well I, it's a headline driver is what it is. CNBC ratings haven't been great. It's a headline driver. We got to drive ratings. Let's get Rick Santelli on Squawk Box. He's he never comes Squawk Box in the morning to spook the whole market. Yeah. I've joked today is like the Rick Santelli sell-off. Because we have been just hammered here because he's talking about rates at 13%. I mean, we're sitting here at 4.8. What are you talking about 13? Like, let's not put the cart before the horse here, Mr. Rick. I like you. You've been on CNBC for a long time. But let's not just get ridiculous here. 13%. The economy ceases to exist if rates go to 13%. We have way too much debt. But could, could we go to five, five and a half? I mean, if we start going up to five, five and a half, I think the Fed does pay attention to the long end. And I think that they will... Yeah, I, I still think we're getting towards the end of this. You know, and, and the inflation numbers have been a lot better than they were, at least the reported inflation. We know the actual inflation is much different than what is reported, but they go by what is reported there. So I think they've got a pretty good handle on product inflation. Again, I'm concerned about the labor inflation, though, which could in turn start driving product inflation as well. So I think that is on the radar, too. So nobody's got a crystal ball here. But I tell you, if you know, the long end continues to go up, it's going to kill some demand. What do you think about the yield curve? Um, right now, yield curve predicted GDP growth is negative uh, for 2024. I think it's right. It doesn't matter. We'll just change the definition of things so then it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. Just to make sure we don't have a hard landing, we'll just okay. change the definition now, here. Now no let consecutive me, let me, two quarters in a row. GDP So let me, let me We changed to four quarters in a row. <laughs> next, next week. <laughs> We are excited to welcome on the podcast Claudia Sam, and she used to work at the Fed. So I've got I've written oh, down. I'm going to ask her how much does the Fed look at the market? She'll um, say none. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, and she would. I think she would take issue with your point, Eric, here, um, because in fact, I believe that she came up with the indicator the Fed uses to determine what a recession is. It's called the Sam indicator. 
Well, it's, it's good because you just get to like look at the economy and then pick which one fits your narrative. Like that's the beautiful part. So hers might fit one narrative. No, but I, I think it's hard to argue that the two quarters we saw of negative GDP growth were, in, were a recession. When you look at the, the breadth of indicators, I think you do have to look at the breadth of indicators. I think the NBER is, the, is, is, is right to have not declared that brief dip a recession when employment was incredibly strong. The market was didn't was feel like strong, a recession. Right? Yeah, I, I think that's not to say that one is not coming. Um, and I think gen, a general rule of thumb is two quarters of negative GDP growth is probably a good indicator, but maybe not the end all be all. But yeah, I, I get. I well, get I, I think one of the issues I have with all of it, too, is just especially like we're coming up on an election cycle. Right. So we know that mm -hmm. there's a lot of very careful narrative crafting around those. For sure. like, you know, I make jokes about it. I'm I'm just an idiot sitting in my house, right? So like at no point would I say this is or isn't a recession. I would defer to them, but I cannot help but find it suspect that <laughs> some of the ways we talk about even this idea of recession has changed quite a bit. Not even whether or not like we're actively in one per se, but the way that we talk about it, I've noticed has changed so much mm -hmm. over the last year. So it, even if they say next year, this still isn't a recession, it's like, okay, well, I feel like at this point, if you asked somebody, like just a lay person, what's a recession, they would have no freaking idea what to say to that. Yeah, no, they would, and they would probably see inflation, um, and you know the, the 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 state of the the world, and they would probably think this. How is this not it? And that that's the one of the questions majority. that we're we're trying to answer next week. Actually, is you know the the, the economic numbers. They look really good. The inflation numbers, unemployment, you know, everything looks great. Everything about Bidenomics looks great. And yet people are not feeling it. And there's got to be a reason. Right. And, and I don't I don't think it's yeah. just perception. Right. People are feeling economic pain right now. Well, and it's it's also really fascinating seeing how wealth just moves in inflationary environments, right? It is one of those things where the people with money can earn better yields on their large sums of money. And it can actually help them quite a bit. Sure. And the yeah. people without, they're paying, they're running through their savings. That's a big thing I watch is emergency savings and credit spend, and it's just unhealthy. And then you tack on the fact that mortgage rates are hovering around 8%. So it is, yeah, I feel like from a consumer perspective, there's a very different picture of what that world of a uh, you know, recession, quote unquote, could look like. I understand it as specific technical terms, but it already seems like we've broached that world anyways. So. So what you're yeah, saying I, is in a in a low interest rate environment, the rich get richer. And in a high interest rate environment, the rich, the rich get, get richer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in a medium interest rate environment. The rich get richer. The rich will get richer. Yeah. Richer. Yeah. Yeah. That's period. Even even in the way that I'm trading now, right? Like as I'm putting on positions. I can kind of double dip my money and a lot of the cash that I have tied to different options positions, I'll just put it in a SPX box spread for X period of time and I'll earn, like right now, I just put on one a day that's earning 5.8% annual yield. Like it's just, that's really good money that's already tied to another trade that, you know, hopefully will will work out. But those kinds of opportunities are available with, with capital. But, you know, if you don't have savings, but you have to pay, you know, X number of dollars for your gallon of milk and eggs, eggs, um, you know, it's oh, a problem. Man. Eggs have become almost the tulips or they were of like what 2022, early 2023. That was a ride. Just a 
Just a dozen. We never eggs. had that in Canada. We never had no. the problem with eggs. No, I never really. What a ride! I kept waiting it. to go to the grocery store and paying ten dollars for a dozen eggs, but never happened here for some reason. <laughs> oh, Although man. to be well, fair, Canadian food inflation is staggering. Oh, across it's the ridiculous. board, I can imagine. Well, yeah, I, I was tweeting out. I had like pictures of a loaf of bread, the same bread that I buy, and I had a picture of it on my phone from like two years ago, and it was two dollars and fifty cents a loaf, and the same bread is three ninety nine now. The same yeah. thing. And I mean, Holy exact shit. same loaf of bread. Like you're talking. See, that's only... exactly. It's little yeah. things like that that really translate into all of these bigger issues. It's like, I, how do we have time mm -hmm. to think about that when I'm worried about the literal price of bread? You know. You, yeah. you said that was just two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Two two forty nine to three ninety nine. It man, just silliness. But there's so many things that are like that. I mean, yeah. I used to be like going and you get, you know, the grapes were, you know, I don't know, it was two ninety nine a pound or a dollar ninety nine a pound. Now you never see it. it's always three ninety nine a pound again. Canada, they just kill us with uh, pricing of everything, it seems like. Our gas, too. Like, you go in there, we're in liters, which is already seems like a ripoff because you're in gallons down there. Over one quarter, basically, is 3.6, I think, liters in a gallon. Smoke and mirrors, darn it. Well, yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> oh, you're only paying a buck 75. That sounds pretty good. No, that's a liter, buddy. That's yeah, a liter. that's a liter, bud. Yeah. <laughs> you fill up your card. $250 for my pick. What's going on? <laughs> I know Moving here from Jersey. Move here. It's been, yeah, moving here from Jersey has been shocking. Like, New Jersey is the land of money up gets. here. Yeah. Oh, and the housing bubble in Canada. That was a whole nother conversation of silliness. I yeah. mean, housing prices, the average home in Ontario, I think, has went from basically $250,000 go back 10 years ago to like six hundred or seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars Like tripled in 10 yeah. years. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like you can't, I if you're you starting... You cannot afford it to, you know, get a home and, and a starter home now is five or six hundred thousand dollars in most cities in Ontario. That's a starter home. But that's, that's Canadian dollars. Right? It's like it's like funny money too. Don't forget. I don't. I don't want yeah, you guys. One thirty-seven. So <laughs> I don't want you guys to worry because no matter how bad it is in Canada, us Americans are just going to bitch louder anyway because we're really good at that. That is one hundred percent true. <laughs> Americans will always be louder. Um, oh yeah, yeah I, there's I'm a right loud guy up here. Here in the yeah. middle of nowhere, our our little five acre you know hobby farm, so to speak, we bought in 2020. We had a realtor come out just because we were curious about a month ago, and it's it's just about doubled. And oh, I mean sure. that's you know, but if we do that, then we can't get into something. Yeah. It's it's hard yeah. to make a lateral move in this yeah. market. So I mean, it's yep. just it's it's definitely touching all corners um, for sure. Yeah. And that's I I kind of wanted to close with that because as an as an individual investor, I wanted I wanted to to close with this question for you guys, which is I'm hearing a lot of concern. Um, I'm hearing a lot of yellow flags, not necessarily red flags. But where where can we put our money? That's that, wh where what can you do to sort of ride out this upcoming? Uh, storm, you know, where do we go? I, you're talking about these 20 year long treasury bonds and ETFs that are, um, they're just doing unprecedented things. So that's what, what can the everyday investor do uh, I, to I safeguard short -term against cash that? is winning. I mean, short term cash is winning. majority of your retail investors aren't going to short stocks. So you've just got to look like, okay, what can we buy? You know, as an investor and in, in retail investor, you look and there is some stocks out here right now that are probably attractive long term. Yes. You know, if you've got a 10 year time horizon, some of these stocks are probably, you know, getting to a point where they're attractive here. But, you know, short term, I mean, there's still, you know, you got valuations that are stretched, uh, especially if you look at the S&P or you look at mega cap tech and you think, well, 
sitting at you know 5.2, 5.3% in short money, short-term money is a win right now, especially when you got S&P falling um, you know, six, 7% here over the course of the last few weeks. So I think some caution, but again, we'll get to an environment here eventually where there's going to be a nice buying opportunity here too. But I don't want to be the first person to catch the falling knife here. I'm not sure if Eric wants to be the first person catching the falling knife. There's so many momentum traders out there. None of them are catching the falling yeah. knife. So it takes, you know, guts for somebody to start stepping in catch that falling knife, get cut up a little bit, and then maybe eventually start to stabilize and turn this thing around. But bonds long-term here, I think bonds long-term, if you've got a 10-year time horizon, you're starting to get some attractive yields here where I don't think rates are going to stay elevated. You know, I don't think Rick Santelli is correct. I think he's incorrect at 13%. I think rates eventually probably go back down. I don't know if that's next year or if it's 2025, but eventually we probably start talking about the the tenure, not over 5%, but maybe back down to three and a half. And mm-hmm. then there's going to be some money made in bonds. So I think that, you know, if you're prudent and you're looking with a long-term time horizon here, maybe bonds are a place to be. What do you think, hmm. Eric? Interesting. I have, I don't know. I kind of have like three tiers because the the simplest answer, I think, for most people is just keep, keep calm, dollar cost average on in an index ETF, buy it on the way down, man, and it'll still be fine. If you want to get a little more calculated, for me, I would be looking for sector strength. Like if I wanted to buy individual equities and there there is strength. Like if you look at uranium stocks right now, I like CCJ, they're they're doing great. And if you look at this entire year, they're doing great. I'm a long-term so you can find, CCJ holder. I'd love to hear that. There you go. Yeah. Good Canadian yeah, I mean, company, even, Dave. There you go. Even, <laughs> even with the, you know, the the uptick in, you know, uranium production from Kazakhstan, which is funny because all I thought they did was potassium. You guys didn't know it's a Borat reference. Um, I was just going to say, I thought all they did was Borat. So yeah, there we go. Um, But I mean, even with that factored in, it still looks fine to me. So you can find strength there. Semiconductors, they're down a little bit in a short term time frame, but on the year, they're up like 70%. So there's plenty of things that, in my opinion, are strong. You could try to play some sort of longer term thesis. If you believe the recession thing is going to play out, yay or nay, you can look at defensive stocks. But I mean, for me in the third tier, I'm an options trader, man. Like I really don't give a shit where anything goes. My job is to see what the market is doing today and trade stuff as it is today. So with that, my life is super simple. Volatility is my lifeblood. These years, at least for volatility traders or options traders in general are absolutely fantastic. So I think anything catalyst volatility is looking really good. Directional to the downside, like I talked about utilities. If I see a utilities name pop up in an alert, I'm fading it. I'm not even looking at the computer, just fade it <laughs> and then come back later. It's like, yeah, for me, this this kind of market, at least for derivatives traders, kind of no brainer. All right. Two different, very different perspectives. I think this is great. Well, I, it's I, a long-term and a short-term perspective. Yeah, here. Exactly. So yeah. I, I like what Eric said. If you're a long-term investor and you know you're looking at your, you know, your stocks every couple of days and just going with it, averaging into an ETF, dollar cost averaging into an ETF is always a way to make money in the long run. It's always it's been the way. And there's some yep. stocks that are on sale. So that's not a bad strategy at all. Unfortunately, me and Eric have the job of being market timers. This is my full-time <laughs> job here. So Eric's a volatility trader. I am as well. My my core strategies, which we didn't talk about at all are basically you know, different types of statistical arbitrage. And those do very well with an elevated VIX as well. So mm-hmm. even though he's in the option side of it, I'm on the equity side of it and looking at relationships that fall apart, 
you know, and obviously using different indicators, but we didn't get any of that stuff. Um, you know, maybe that's t- stuff for another podcast, but I mean, so wearing different hats as well. So if you're wearing the short-term hat, the VIX elevated is always good for traders like Eric and myself. All right. I think that sounds great. Yeah. Next month, uh, we hope to make this a monthly thing uh, to talk markets with Eric and Dennis. I think this has been sure. great. Appreciate you guys for coming on and sharing your opinions. And I, I love the contrast, um, the long-term versus short-term perspectives, even if you are a short-term trader, Dennis. So I, I'm a lot more of a long-term <laughs> I try to investor. do both. I'm not that good at long-term stuff. I'm better at the short-term stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try and be a long-term, and then I often find myself playing around with some short-term trades. I know, trades, that's a but, problem. You know, yeah. Well, all right. I think this has been great. What do you think, Fink? Uh oh, we lost. It's oh, worth mentioning. Here. Sorry, oh, yeah, it's worth mentioning to the audio listeners too. Uh, you brought up some great charts on um, some of the bonds and and things that we were talking about earlier. So all of that was on Irvin, and we can drop some links in in the uh, description of the podcast, so you guys can go check out um, the indicators and everything that we've been talking about can be found on on the charting on Irvin. So yeah, this was great. We had to show off the platform. Finally, yeah, so, uh, yeah. We'll be doing that a lot more often too. If you want to watch some video of uh, these podcasts, for sure. All right, so all all of you uh, listening out there, make sure to subscribe, like, spread the word on uh, our podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Dennis and Eric, uh, for joining us. Uh, thanks, Pink. This has been uh, another great episode of Let's Talk Markets. And like I said, uh, next week we're going to be welcoming um, Claudia Sam, who used to work at the Federal Reserve, and Ofer Gottlieb, who runs uh, the Capital Markets Laboratory. And uh, we're going to be talking macro and markets, although I think we talked a lot about that uh, today. So we'll be continuing that conversation. Um, So thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Go make some money. Go make some money. Yeah. (laughs)